those things that you have been told that are negative, that have ripped your self-esteem down, those are lies. If you have a relationship in your life, hint, you do, then a healthy relationship is the goal. From friendships to family to romantic to professional, relationships surround us. We want to prove to you that the work to make them healthy is worth it. This is Connect, Communicate, Relate, a South Valley Services podcast made possible by the Utah Women's Giving Circle. Today, we're focusing on relationship with self. You know how they say that breakfast is the most important meal of the day? Well, your relationship with yourself is like your breakfast relationship. It's the most important, and it has a lot to do with how our other relationships function. So keeping this idea in mind, today we're talking with Allison, the South Valley Services Clinical Director, about relationship with self and self-esteem. Today, we will be talking about some self-care and self-esteem, and we have an amazing guest that's here with us today, Allison. Thank you so much, Elise and Abby, for having me. We are so excited to have Allison with us here today. Allison is our clinical director at South Valley Services. Allison is a licensed clinical social worker. She got her master's degree in social work from the University of Utah, and she has an extensive history in working with children, adolescents, and adults in various settings, including early education, inpatient, and outpatient settings, and she has over eight years of experience working with trauma. She has a passion for working with clients who have experienced trauma and finds joy in seeing adults and children gain self-worth and a purpose in their lives after years of abuse. Allison utilizes many trauma-informed therapeutic techniques, including TF, CBT, ACT, trauma-informed yoga, EMDR, and many experiential and body-based techniques. So we're, we're really excited to have you with us today, Allison. Thank you. I'm so excited to be a part of this podcast. Allison, I'd love to kind of start this off by asking you, what got you interested in working with survivors of domestic violence? Yes. Um, I think when I first started out as a therapist, after I graduated with my master's, I knew I wanted to work with survivors of trauma. Um, and I think I was kind of naive when I first started out, you know, thinking I knew exactly what that looked like and, and feeling like I was well-equipped or prepared for what that would entail. And the more that I learned about survivors of domestic violence and, and that that, you know, expanded to so many different demographics. And I just realized that there was a huge need that wasn't being met, especially here in Utah. Being able to work with trauma survivors has always been a passion of mine because I I love seeing the growth that happens, the resilience that trauma survivors have. And to be a part of their, their stories as they make it from victim to survivor. And so when this position came open, I just, I knew I had to, to jump on that and to be a part of the bigger work and to learn more and to help educate more clinicians on this work um, and the need that's out there. We are able to provide all of our clinical services to our clients for free. That is something that for me personally, but I feel so blessed to be able to provide uh, free therapy for clients. 
And I believe that all survivors of trauma or violence um, should be able to have free therapy. Um, I personally am so, so blessed that I'm able to be a part of an agency that, that puts survivors first. You had mentioned that you felt like there was a need in Utah that wasn't being met. Can you talk a little bit more about maybe what the most common challenge or need of an individual facing some form of abuse in Utah is? Yeah, um, unfortunately, we are kind of naive in, in domestic violence. And I would have clients who would talk to me about situations in their, their relationship. And, you know, I used what I knew. And unfortunately, you know, that was things like bring this partner in, let's talk to them, let's try to work this out you know, the three of us and, and have kind of a, a couple's counseling session. And for me, looking back, I'm like, well, of course that didn't always work. Um, you know, because there were these very extreme domestic violence situations that couples counseling doesn't help. It, in fact, you know, can make things worse. Um, and so looking back on some of that, I wish that I had more of that knowledge starting out and really could have helped my clients find more support that maybe they needed in those moments. As we said before, we're wanting to talk about self-esteem and our self-concept of ourselves and how we feel about ourselves. Can you tell us a little bit more about um, how our self-esteem and the way we feel about ourselves is important to our relationships and how those can kind of relate with one another? Oh, of course. There's so much to that question, our inner critic. It's the voices that we hear when something happens, right? It's that voice that says, oh my gosh, you're so stupid. I can't believe you just did that. Right. Or that voice that says, oh, you know, of course, this person's not going to like you. Right. You look like this. That's our inner critic. And a lot of the time it becomes a voice from other voices that we've heard in our past. It can be, you know, past romantic relationships. It can be past relationships with parents or siblings or other family members that, again, have become this inner voice of ours. And when we attempt to get into other relationships with people after an unhealthy relationship, that inner critic typically will still be there. And that can really hinder progress. Um, and so being able to, to recognize that inner critic, to recognize that voice that is telling us that we're not good enough or that you know, we're going to ruin this relationship because, you know, somebody's told us that in the past, we've got to be able to, again, recognize that so we can talk about it with our new partner, with those new relationships, with new friends and, you know, people in our lives that we're trying to be healthy with. And so I would say that, again, kind of that awareness is the first piece of, you know, building that self-esteem, right? Changing that inner critic is being aware of what those voices are and whose voices they really are. Because a lot of the time we don't, we don't start out saying those things about ourselves, right? As a child, we're not saying, oh my gosh, you're so stupid. Right? As a child, you know, we're saying, hey, I can do this. I can jump off the swing, right? I'll be okay. I'll be able to, 
you know, do this handstand longer than everybody else, or, you know, do this many cartwheels, right? Like that's what our inner voice is as a child. It's telling us that we can do these things. And unfortunately, along the way, you know, that changes and other voices start to take over our inner voice. So it is extremely important to recognize who we are and what voice we want to give energy to. So Allison, two questions. The first one is, why, why does that voice change, right? From encouraging us and supporting us and helping us be brave to um, cutting us down or making us feel like we want to hold back or less confident. So it changes because as humans, we are wired for connection, right? We want to be close to people. We, we want, you know, those relationships in our lives and, you know, Unfortunately, when other people are unhealthy themselves, that turns outward, right? That turns to other people and, you know, that those voices, right? We tend to hear more negative things than positive, right? Our, our, our brain is wired to focus more on negative things than positive things. Um, so when we're hearing these negative things, even if we are hearing positive things still, we're going to believe and focus more on those negative than those positives. Um, and so pretty soon, that's what our brain recognizes. That's what it believes. Um, and our, our brain really does have a hard time on separating what is true and what's not. Right? So if we give something more energy, our brain believes that that's the truth. Um, so if we're hearing from you know, parents or siblings or a romantic partner that you know, we're all these horrible negative things, our brain believes that and starts to hold on to that as this is the truth. So is there something we can do preemptively to, to work on that voice? Or is there something we can teach our children to do to believe in ourselves? Is there an exercise we can do in your opinion? What can we do to soften the blow of moving from a kind, supportive voice, an internal voice to someone that's not supportive and makes us doubt ourselves? Right. So... Again, there's so many different things out there um, that we can look at. So for children, again, th there are a lot of resiliency factors that um, can be in our genetics, can be in our social supports. Um, and so sometimes, you know, we look at that and we might have a lot of resiliency factors, right? We might have you know, really loving and supportive parents and siblings and later on in our life, get into an unhealthy relationship. So in situations like that, to me, one of the best things we can do is to remind ourselves daily of those things that build our self-esteem, to, to help remind us that there are great things about us. And in the middle of these unhealthy relationships, it can be really difficult to do that, um, but it can be done. There's a lot of little techniques that I use, um, even 
for me personally that help remind me, that help build that for me. Like something that I do is I have put a reminder on my phone and it goes off twice a day, which might be kind of um, annoying for some people, but for me, it's it's just the reminder I need. And I have a phrase that I use. It's, I am enough. And every day, twice a day at specific times, my alarm goes off and it pops up as a reminder on my phone. And I can tell for me when I am, when I'm feeling good, when I'm having that positive self-esteem, I read it. When I'm not I tend to kind of brush it away pretty quickly, right? And I kind of ignore it. But I find that even if I'm feeling like I just want to brush it away, like I don't believe it as much that day, for me to read that reminds me and it builds that for me, right? So that's one thing that I do. I also, I put post-it notes in places that I will see them around my house, in my car, again, with just little things to remind me. And I pick actual examples, right? So I don't just have it be vague and broad, right? I say things like, I am a great friend. And then I'll put an example of a time when I was a great friend, that time that you were there when so-and-so needed to talk. What I'm doing there is I am training my brain again to focus on those positives, to connect these positive statements with an example, right? Because what that's going to do is that's going to create that connection and it's going to make it stronger for me rather than just saying, you're a great friend. Because then my brain can say, no, you're not. Remember that time you did this? How is that a great friend, right? Because again, I'm more prone to focus on the negatives than the positives. So if I just leave it open-ended, course, my brain's going to focus on those things that I've been telling myself for years. But if I find examples that are recent, then my brain's going to say, oh yeah, you did do that. That was a really good thing. That was a great friendly thing to do. Again, overall, it's, it's retraining our brain, right? It's taking a new path that we've forgotten about for a while. I mean, I, I have little sticky notes or I write little affirmations down, right? To try to retrain my brain. But the, the point of putting an example, you're even, you're eliminating another barrier, right? That, you know, I could put sticky notes up, right? But my brain's going to see and be like, oh, no, you're not. But if I have a concrete example, that's just that mm-hmm. slight little next step of eliminating that barrier of retraining your brain. What long-term kind of effects have you seen in your life since you started doing those over a long period of time? Long-term effects are amazing. I, I'm surprised still when I look back, you know, at things that I believed years ago, things that were, were second nature in my thoughts and my inner critic. I'm a strong believer of therapy, not only for, you know, because I am a therapist, but for myself, like I go, I see a therapist and I think it's, it definitely is something that is so needed Uh, for most of us just to have somebody to to talk to and to work through some of these things with Um, but you know I look back on some of my therapy sessions years ago and and the things that I thought the things that I believed and you know I had to work through with my therapist and I look at that and I'm like wow it's hard to 
feel like that was me, right? It's hard to look back and say, wow, you really believe those things. And again, I'm not saying that, you know, I don't ever have any negative thoughts that pop in. And, um, you know, I think it, it's very typical for humans to, to feel that way at times. But there's a difference between having moments and really believing that you are not worthy, right? Or that you're not enough. And when we, when we focus and when we feel like we're not enough, that can cause so many additional issues in our life, right? It makes us feel more depressed, right? Can make us feel more anxious, especially, you know, in, in social situations when we're trying to make connections with people in our job, you know, we can start to feel kind of that imposter syndrome, right? There's so many things that are connected to our self-esteem, right? And, you know, I'm sure everybody's heard, you know, fake it until you make it. And to some degree, that is true, right? Sometimes we have to, you know, tell ourselves these things, even if we don't believe them, right? Because like I said, our brain doesn't know the difference. And the more we train that, the more we are able to believe it. So what would you, if you just had a quick minute on here, you know, if there was someone listening to us right now who had um, negative self-esteem because of a relationship, what's one quick thing that you would be able to say to them right now? If I could just say one thing, it would be those things that you have been told that are negative, that have ripped your self-esteem down, those are lies. And the hard thing is, you know, as I'm saying this, I'm sure a lot of people listening are probably saying, well, what you just said is a lie, right? Because that's what we've been trained to say. But I promise you that negative things that have been said to you from another person mean more about who they are and what they're going through than you, than who you are. And if I could make you see that right now, I, I would try to help everybody who's going through that to see the worth that each person has. Starting with something small, you can start to see a difference. So I would, I would definitely recommend if you're feeling that way, start with a small little activity that we maybe talked about today and, and see what happens. And don't just do it for one day and say that it doesn't work. We have to start to make them a daily habit in order for our brain to counter the negatives. There's the age old adage, right? No one will love you until you love yourself. Do you believe in that? What are your thoughts on that? I don't believe in that. I think that there is truth to that to some degree, but people can and will love you even if you don't feel like you are lovable. But when we believe it, when we start to really understand, again, our worth, it makes it easier for us to accept the love from others. But it doesn't mean that if we don't love ourselves, somebody else won't. Because sometimes we get stuck on that thought that, well, I'm going to be alone forever because I don't 
love myself and I don't feel good enough. And so again, there, there's truth to it to some degree, but if we, if we really can believe that we are lovable, right, that we can love ourselves, it makes it easier for us to accept when other people do. We, I mean, we talked about what we can do to, to work on self-esteem, to work on quieting that voice that, that puts us down. When it comes to self-love, how do you feel like that interacts with, with self-esteem? Are they the same thing? Are they different? And then how does self-care play into self-love? All of those words, right? Self-esteem, self-worth, self-love, you know, and then self-care. There are so many times that those are used interchangeably. You have worth because you are a person. You are a human. Self-esteem, right, is more of, you know, how we think of ourselves, if that makes sense. And then our self-worth doesn't change. As far as we are humans, we are worthy of respect. We are worthy of love and care and consideration, right, from others and from ourselves. That I don't believe changes. Self-esteem, our confidence level, right? That is what we see change. That is what we see will vary over time, depending on how we view ourselves, how others view us and what they say to us. And so that I believe changes. Self-care, when we can recognize how valuable and how worthy we are as humans, as people, self-care tends to increase. We tend to put things that we need first. And I know that kind of, whenever I say it that way, I always, I always get looks of, well, I can't put myself first. That's selfish, right? I have kids and I have family that they need my attention. They need my focus, right? So I can't do that. But when I say put ourselves first, it doesn't mean that we aren't still focusing and, and caring and giving, you know, our family meeting their needs, right? It just means that we're able to say, hey, you know, I'm going to set this boundary because I've already got a lot on my plate. And if I do this, then I'm going to feel really overwhelmed. That's self-care. Boundaries are self-care. And sometimes we forget that that is, that that helps me take care of myself, right? That that helps me be able to provide more for those people around me. So self-care, you know, again, it, it looks very different for every person, but it's saying, I need to do this for me, my body, my spirit, you know, my emotions need me to focus on this now. I think maybe what came to my mind as, as you were saying that was perhaps being self-aware is a big part of how we achieve all of these um, components within building the healthiest version of ourself or right. The one that's um, where we have the greatest amount of self-esteem is, is by being aware of what we need and taking care of those things. Would you agree with that? Yes, mm-hmm. yeah. definitely would agree with that. The one thing I'm left thinking about from the last thing you said, Allison, kind of that point of how self-care can sometimes feel selfish. I think that's a common thing we all think. Mm-hmm. And I'm reminded of the very common analogy of the 
oxygen mask on the airplane where you have to put your yeah. mask on first to be able to help it into next to you, right? You have to take care of yourself, mm -hmm. set your own boundaries first to be able to, to give more, to help with, you know, kind of do those things you want. So in, in a way, self-care is, is truly about your family and all of us. And it's not really that uh, selfish act as we think it is. Right. Exactly. Nice. And I, I use that metaphor a lot in my sessions with clients, right? Because we're no good to others if we aren't taking care of ourselves. Um, and that's when we, we feel overwhelmed and we feel very short with other people, right? We maybe snap at them a little bit more because that's our stuff coming out. It's not, mm -hmm. it's not them, it's us. Um, and so if we're able to take care of ourselves and to be aware of needing space or, you know, needing to step away for a little bit, if we're being triggered in a new relationship because of previous relationships or, you know, anything like that, if we can just say to ourselves, okay, I need my space for a second. I need to step back. I need to be aware of what I'm experiencing. Then we can come back to that relationship in a healthier way, right? And we can address that in a healthy way, which will then, you know, ultimately create, again, a new connection in our brain to say, I can be in a healthy relationship, right? I can be healthy myself. Because again, when we have all of these experiences in our past, we tend to create a narrative that says, I'm unhealthy, I can't be in a healthy relationship, I don't deserve this, or, or whatever, right, those narratives are. And so anything that we can do to start to change those narratives, that's going to, in the long run, it's going to change how we feel about ourselves. Mm-hmm. Well, that's great, Allison. This has been so awesome to just listen to you and to learn these new things that I can even apply in my own life. So this has been really great. And I really appreciate your insight and your wonderful, well-rounded knowledge that you have. I've got my list of stuff that I'm going to be working on. So, well, thank you so much. It's been, it's been fun. We had a great time talking with Allison about our relationship with ourself and things we can do to make that important relationship healthy. If you'd like to learn more about South Valley Services Clinical Therapy Program, you can visit svsutah.org. We invite you to keep listening and learning about healthy relationships with us. If you'd like to submit a question to this podcast, you can email ccrpod.svs at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. You can find more information about domestic violence and services for those who are experiencing domestic violence on our website, svsutah.org. If you are experiencing violence and need help, please call our crisis line at 801-255-1095 or visit stoptheviolenceutah.org to find your local domestic violence service provider. Outside of Utah, national help is available through the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-SAFE or 7233.